What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to Real Chronicles, brought to you by RealTalkInc.com. I'm your host, David. I got the team here with me today. Ryan the Temp. What's happening, everybody? I'm not a goddamn temp. <laughs> <laughs> and lucky Leo. You, you, you talking to me? Right, wait, are, are you are you talking to me? <laughs> I, I have a fun I have a fun fact about that uh, that whole scene, which we'll get to in a little bit. But by Leo's wonderful impersonation of Robert De Niro, uh, today we are looking at and celebrating the 45th anniversary of Martin Scorsese's best film, in my opinion, Taxi Driver. Uh, we're going to look at that and its comparison and inspiration to 2019's Joker. Uh, before we get into that, there is a lot. Lots of news to get into, so I'm just going to jump right into it. A um, little bit of Oscar talk. I just want to, uh, I know Leo was pretty much in the thick of the race with me last year, and then, um, so WGA nominations were announced on on Wednesday, I believe, and I do have, I just want to run the nominations for you. It should be rel- relatively quick, just to see what Ryan has seen, because Leo's been catching up. Um oh. But just seeing what Ryan's seeing. Um, so just to give you a heads up, there is a lot of films that were not that did not qualify, and it's you know I think we talked about it last year with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's just some movies that don't qualify. I did find out that if the screenwriter is not part of WGA, you don't qualify no matter what. Oh wow! Yeah, so that you know that disqualifies. So you're not going to see Mank here. You're not going to see Nomadland here. You're not going to see. There's a couple of other films here that didn't qualify that you're probably at Oscar. But original screenplay nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah. I know Ryan's seen this as we spoke about it last week. Yep. Palm Springs, okay. which was my favorite ah, nomination. Dang it. That means I have to watch it. It's so good, <laughs> Leo. It's so good. I talked about it last year. It's so good. Ryan, did you get a chance to see that? That's the one where they can't die, right? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more than that, Ryan, but... I know, but I didn't want to give it away, away you know what I mean? That's why I just, so I just gave it like a little sum real quick. Uh, Summary like, uh, real quick. Star, Star Wars. That's the one with the... With the sword, aliens. And, right? Yeah. <laughs> Again, I didn't want to give too much away. My bad. Um, so that's actually on Hulu, Leo, so it's an cool. easy watch on there. Uh, Promising Young Woman, which made me so happy. Uh, the Ryan, I know you haven't seen it because you have not commented on it because I know you have something to say about it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. You're a disgrace. <laughs> uh, I might see back, it. Back, I'm not, back to I just haven't gotten around to, to it. Be- best, best film of last year, man. Uh, Sound of Metal. Uh, this is on Amazon Prime. I, I really want to see this one. I think the way you guys reviewed it, and I saw some of the trailers on Amazon Prime every once in a while, it looks fantastic. It looks very deep. Yeah, like I actually thought I kind of avoided it. I never, I never requested the screener because I'm like, oh. I'm not really into. I thought it was just basically about him dealing with it as a band member, but it goes into a completely different direction that I think you guys will both love. It's on Amazon Prime, and finally, Trial of the Chicago Seven. Uh, oh, nice! Did you get a chance to see that? 
Leo? I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I freaking loved it. I thought it was really well made. It, 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 I love the way it balanced out the, enough time for all the different cast members mm-hmm. and all the different stories. Um, yeah, I dug it. I really dug it. And Ron, you haven't got a chance to see that yet, right? The Chicago 7, no. Yeah, so um, I'm good. <laughs> I'm not as supportive of this movie because this is the default favorite right now for Best Picture. It's yeah, I was gonna say this feels like an award, uh, like like a, like a nominee, like just like it just fits like their little criteria. <laughs> like like I think right now it may win, but it seems so uninspired. Like last year, Parasite felt so inspired. If the, yeah, if, but it's tough for anything to go against like how original and and fantastic that movie felt <laughs> promising young woman man promising young woman i it, it's it's tough i mean it's it's a conversation for when we get closer but uh moving on to adapted this is the one that most a lot of the films did not qualify for so it's a very wide array of nominees so ma rainey's black bottom which i know leo you saw for chadwick's performance right yep yep and then ryan you haven't checked that out yet right Nah, sorry that's on Netflix, so it's really, really solid. Chadwick is incredible in it. Uh, News of the World, you guys don't need to bother with that, even though I know it's a best picture. It's going to be a best picture nominee. I think you guys would hate it. Like it's, it's who's, a, the, who's in that one? It's Tom Hanks, uh, Helena Zengel. It's, um, it's essentially a western without any action. So I, I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of don't think I'd get some great feedback. I liked it because I, I, I'm a fan of westerns, but it's very. It's very subdued. Uh, One Night in Miami, incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Uh, the White Tiger, I didn't like this movie as much as others. I think it's fine. And then uh, the movie that I'm so happy is here because uh, that means Leo may actually have to watch it. And I, <laughs> uh, Borat, subsequent movie film. Oh, hell no. Oh, no. I, but, I, I draw the line at Palm Springs. <laughs> fun fun fact, the first Borat was an Oscar nominee for screenplay. So it, it, would, was, yeah. it, it yeah. wouldn't be shocking if it comes in. And then documentary, uh, I, I've i seen most of these totally under control. Red Penguins, Herb Alpert is, Descent, the, this, Descendant, and All In, The Fight for Democracy. So... WGA will be announced in March, and then there's nothing until the Golden Globes next week. Alrighty, that's all the Oscar stuff. Next up, Marty, Uncle Marty's in the news again. Did you guys check out that article that I posted this week about Marty's thoughts on the state of cinema? I, I, I did it. not, no. Ironically, that we're talking about Marty today, too. <laughs> yeah. So, it, this is a quote. So, as recently as 15 years ago, the term content was only heard when people were discussing the cinema on a serious level, and it was contrasted with with a measured against form. Then gradually, it was used more and more by people who overtook the media companies, most of whom knew nothing about the history of the art form or even cared enough to think they should. Content became a business term for all moving images, a David Lean movie, a cat video, a Super Bowl commercial, a superhero sequel, a serious episode. It was linked, of course, not to the theatrical experience, but home viewing on the streaming platforms that have come to overtake the movie going experience, just as Amazon overtook physical stores. So this is a small snippet. It's a a long article. You can check it out on the uh, Real Talk Facebook page. So I just wanted to use that snippet to kind of bring into the discussion of like the movie going experience as a whole. Is Marty right? I'll start with Leo. Uh, he is he is uh, but I, I dealt that it also feels like this is one of those like 
it's it's the times, dude. Like it's just streaming services have absolutely come in and made it into like a they're a they're a serious contender for the way people watch and digest these 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 films. He's right, but I just feel like it's it's a heartbreaking fact that he just has to get used to. Right. We said it before. Um, it's the way of the future. It's it's sad, but it, it's the way it is. You know, we gotta just accept it. I think it's funny because Marty is currently using his streaming services to release his films. I don't know. Yeah. What, and now successfully Apple, too. Successfully, yeah. And then I, he just announced this week that Jesse Plemons is going to be in his new film, and. I think the reason he's using streaming services is because they are giving him the money for it now, as opposed to studios that don't want to pay that much money for a film that's more grounded in reality, but they'll give $200 million to a superhero film. It's kind of like weird, the direction that regular studios are going. Um, for me, I, I, I definitely see what he's talking about. I... He, I, I read a little bit more into this than maybe you guys. I think it's more, I think he's talking about the history of appreciation of cinema as a whole. Like, I, I've spoken on here, like, you guys have joked on the snob of the group. And I, and I, and I take that as a compliment in terms of like, I just live for cinema and especially old cinema. There is an, there is an article or, or, or a documentary I believe that I actually saw a few months ago that actually talked about the state of cinema as a whole and how movies before 1935 they're, that 90% of them are done. You can't find them anywhere. As in not DVD as in the film is destroyed. And there are like as we get older and this medium turns into what it is it feels like film history is going to just go away as a whole. Like people are just going to be more prisoners of the moment and not really care about what the history of cinema is. Like, I, I always, I always try to think to myself and remind myself that, like, when I talk about like guys like Alfred Hitchcock, now in today's society, you can, I can probably have a conversation with person A and person B on the street, and the only Hitchcock film they know is Psycho, and that's a shame. It really is because. Before the Avengers, before, you know, Marvel, DC, and all these franchises took control of Hollywood, not even then, like, going into the 90s, people were trying to make films and not just franchises and had more appreciation for the history of cinema. And now, like, we're getting to the point where it's so unappreciated and everyone just looks at it as, like, another piece of content which is kind of what Marty think, was leaning into. Yeah, I was going to say that the, the word that Marty chose to like focus on content, I think that speaks a lot to what he's trying to say here. It's it's like, and I think when we when we mentioned like that, yeah, Dave, that you are tend to be a little bit more of a snob of the group. It's I think it's because when you go to watch films, there's a part of you that looks for it as an art form, right? You want to see some things, or you look for some things that honestly I typically don't. I look to go in and just hear, like, see a good story, absorb the quote-unquote content, binge watch that content, um, and then pretty much move on to the next to the next source. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what Marty's highlighting here is that the world has gone a little bit more into that side where people are binge watching streaming service after streaming service. But they're not really taking the moment to like absorb that one art form and appreciating that one art form. Yep, I agree. And it's funny. And uh, before I move on to Ryan on that, 
Um, look at WandaVision. I think that people forget, and not even just young people, because young people probably have never experienced what I'm about to say, but like people our age are bitching and moaning on social media that you have to wait a week for, for WandaVision. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, do you, do you not remember what you grew up on? This wasn't something that was just here. Like, this has been something that we, we grew up on. And I think the fact that we have to wait a week, and I said this when, during the Mandalorian, I'm like, it lets you appreciate what we're getting. It lets you talk about it. It lets you not, you know, you, you can watch Stranger Things or something that's bingeable, like in terms of like it's already on there. And you have, um, let's just say, a random episode three that in the context of everything really doesn't mean anything. Last week is a perfect example of that. Episode six really didn't do much for the story in terms of like real real progression compared to this week but we had a week to talk about it if we stream those every, all every episode back to back we would have talked about episode six and that's what i no, meant by totally. it being a filler because we're not going to be talking about it in the context of the full story the way we are this week so like i that's why i think you know marty's and right even, yeah go ahead like, even the term filler too like because ryan i remember when we talked to ryan hey was it a filler episode right like even that term filler, just because something like momentous and, and show changing doesn't happen, doesn't mean an episode's a filler. It just mm-hmm. means it's building the story. Yeah. So we're so like we're so like feening that like game changing moment that like if nothing appeases us, we're like no filler. Yep, Ryan. Um, you guys have said it past honestly. <laughs> I, it's it's just yeah. A, yeah, it's an interesting yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have. Um. I wasn't sure whether to bring up this Marty stuff, but I'm like, you know what? Let me just get y- your take on it. Uh, and t- now moving on to more fun stuff. We had some, we had three, three trailers. Two I know you guys saw. Um, the Cruella trailer, or as social media is putting it, the Joker Part Two trailer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll give you. I'll start with Ryan. What are your thoughts on the trailer? I did not expect it to like as much as I did. Like we, uh, you guys were talking about it in our uh, offline chat. So I sat down with Casey. I'm like, before we get into anything, let's just turn this on. And I'm like, holy shit, this is actually really cool. Good. Oh, yeah. Um, I I wanted before I move on to Leo. This is what I want at the end of the movie, and I hope you guys agree. So we're gonna get a post credit scene, and we are going to get, uh, let's just say it's in Cruella's mansion. We're gonna get something like that. And then what we get is um, someone coming in and says, Cruella, we know someone with a lot of Dalmatians. And she turns around and says, how many are there? And it fades to black. <laughs> and they've already, in the, in the trailer from that, that drop, you already saw some Dalmatians on there. So. Yeah, man. I, but what do you think overall of the trailer? <laughs> uh, the trailer was cool. I, I wasn't, I wasn't like... it. I didn't need to get wowed by it. I think Dave, Dave agrees with me. I think Emma Stone is at that point where like she just she's, says she's in the movie and I'll watch. Yeah. It. She sells a movie. She's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So like her, her name is for me, at least it carries, I think you agree. It carries that much where I'm like, mm-hmm. I love her. I'm like, I'll watch it, but it's just like, okay. So the movie looks good too, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. I think the production design, the costumes, the makeup, everything looks incredible in it. And she looks fantastic in it i just and what i like about it is that we talked about over the last few years how these disney 
remakes, live action things haven't really, you know, like The Lion King, for example, is just it being a carbon copy just doesn't work. I love the fact that this is a very much original story. So I, yeah. I personally can't wait. The other trailer is um surprisingly like I think it's more positive than negative, but I don't know why anyone's thinking anything negative about it. The Mortal Kombat trailer. Um I'll kick it off with Ryan. Did you get a chance to see that trailer? I actually have not. Oh Ryan. Wow. Leo, save our childhood. Let's go. <laughs> so first off, so much props to making sure that Asian actors are being portrayed yep. in this movie. Love that. I think first and foremost, right, Dave? I mean, like that has to be the first call out considering the travesty of the casting in the original movie. I think that that was the first thing I noticed. I'm like, okay, this is awesome. Like I, I hopefully it gives just people of color just more an opportunity to, to showcase their skills. Um, it looks fantastic. Um, I, I really want to learn more about this, like, and like to make it a comic book thing. It's like old man scorpion. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I personally, I, I look at the 19, I love, and I say that without a problem. I love the 1995 version of Mortal Kombat. Don't get me wrong. I love that this is more a tribute to the current version of the Mortal Kombat game, not the game that we played. You you dived in on the representation, so I don't have to talk, dive deep, deep in that. I love that. I love the gore on it. It looks like the gore is going to be top notch, especially like when we get to the fatalities. Uh, but yeah, no, it looks extremely fun. Like I cannot wait. And then and you look at it as in it's a video game that really has no story. So yeah. anything they say, I'm 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 all in for. And in the last trailer, I know Ryan hasn't seen, uh, but I think you did see right the Alan versus Pharaoh trailer. Oh, I did not see that. Okay, no. so I know this story very well because it's pretty much Woody Allen. It's not close to Persona and Grada, but after watching this trailer and reading the early reviews, I suspect that's exactly where this is going. Um, very interesting. I think you got it's going to be in four parts, but I think it'll be a very, very interesting dive once everything is out. And speaking of a director that's been canceled, I, for, I didn't mention it last week. Joss Whedon. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. So I'm not going to get into every single al- allegation, but pretty much the cast of uh, some of the members of the cast of Buffy have spoken out and about their work environment with Joss Whedon. And the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because um, outside of him pretty much being canceled, the idea of the Ray Fisher stuff. And I may stand alone here, and that's fine. I think that we've gotten to the point with Ray Fisher that he spoke a lot. He said that there was stuff going on. But we have these brave women coming out and talking about their experiences, giving actual experience of what happened, not just that it happened. And Ray Fisher's still not saying anything about his exact experience. What You, you know, like, I, I find that to be, I don't know. It rubbed me the wrong way because he keeps talking that it happened, but he doesn't just come out and talk about the experience. My thing is if like, okay, there's just, maybe there's NDAs, so on and so forth, but if you feel this passionate about it, fuck it. Everyone else is coming out. Why are you still not talking about all the experiences that you went through that led you to come out in the first place? So that's kind of my two cents. I may be on the on a hill alone here, but uh, Leo, thoughts? 
Uh, so it's funny. I agree. I, I remember when oh, I when I started okay. re- when, when I started reading more about like what the the Buffy cast was saying. Right, Sarah Michelle Gellar came out. Trachtenberg came out. Um, Eliza Dushku. Is it Tracking or Trachtenberg? Trachtenberg. Trachtenberg. Um, and like yeah, like each of them started saying like, oh, I support this person. Um, the Cordelia Charisma Carpenter came out. Like everyone's supporting each other. And I'm like, you know, it's funny because when Ray Fisher came out, like it came off. And I, I feel terrible to say this, but I just didn't pay it much mind. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you sound like a disgruntled actor that didn't get his way. I don't really want to pay too much mind with what you're saying because it doesn't have any like it doesn't feel valid. It doesn't feel like you're backing it up with any kind of proof. Now that the Buffy cast is coming out, which was Joss Whedon's like, this is what made Whedon. Yep. Whedon. <laughs> like when your own iconic property is turning its back against you, like this is Ray Fisher's moment to come out and like. Hey, this is what I was trying to tell you guys and band together. Yep. But like his silence is just making it feel even more like, did you just like, I don't know. I, I just, just, it feels like credibility is a little rough with him. Um, I feel terrible of what everyone is admitting happened on the cat on the set of Buffy. Um, but the race Fisher reaction, I feel like it's still, he's doing more harm than good to his own cause. Ryan thoughts. I know we said we're not going to get into the allegations, but one thing I read was when they said he's not allowed alone with Michelle like in a room with Michelle again. That made my skin crawl, and that's yeah. Uh, I totally agree with you, Dave. Like, there's something weird about the fact on unless he, but at the same time, maybe he just doesn't want to relive it. I'm trying to give him if I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. That's the only way I can. Like, he doesn't want to bring it up, and he just wants to say, hey, this shit happened, but if you don't, and that's it. He wants to leave it at that. That's his own business. But, yeah, it doesn't make all the sense in the world. It's like the boy that cried wolf, you know? Like, yeah. if mm-hmm. you keep saying it, but don't give you actual reasoning for it, it just becomes like, do we really want to take you that serious? But Yeah, um, like, it, it does, Dave, it does feel like that, though. It feels like, I don't know, it just feels more... Boy that cries wolfy when it comes to Fisher. Yep. Uh, next bit of news is more for me. Uh, John Carpenter has come out and said that Halloween Kills is likely adding to streaming. The only reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm very happy that we're not just going to get this pushed again. So Aww. I'm just happy that we're finally <laughs> getting this Halloween sequel and we get the following, the last one next year. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix set to star in Ari Aster's Disappointment Boulevard. I am prepared mentally. I'm going to take some Vicodin uh, before watching this movie. I'm going to take I'm going to take a lot of s- stuff to keep me in because I think this is going to be the most batshit crazy movie I think I've ever seen. Yeah, this feels like a commercial. Like this feels like 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 all the like drug companies got together and like let's make this weird ass movie to affect all our viewers. It's like. I- Oh, oh man, I know he didn't direct the lighthouse, but it's in the similar fashion. Could like Joaquin Phoenix in the lighthouse? Can you imagine that? Bananas. Um, Ryan, have you seen Hereditary or Midsommar? Um, I, I can't Pro- remember if I did or not. Probably <laughs> not. You definitely remember those two. Um, and then finally, oh man, so uh, I did not want to report this. I actually was told about this yesterday morning and then in the afternoon early afternoon um it just started hitting everywhere everywhere so i'm like okay we can we can talk about it so jennifer lawrence is rumored to be playing sue storm in the upcoming fantastic four movie 
which has destroyed my heart as much as I love Jennifer Lawrence. Um, you want Emily Blunt. Yes. <laughs> um, I do have a few things to say, but I will, I'll go last on this. Ryan, what are your thoughts on the rumor? Obviously, this is very, very much a rumor. Zero yeah. confirmation of this, but just your thoughts. I mean, if it's true, uh, I think it could. Uh, I'm down for it. I'm going with an open mind, but I'll also be upset because I w- was hoping that they'd bring in the first class, especially after Evan Peters. But who knows what they're going to do? I mean, they could do a little bit of both. Leo, thoughts? So it's funny because I feel like everyone. I think. Everyone loves Jennifer Lawrence, and I don't think it's the fact that it's Jennifer Lawrence being casted in this that's causing the friction. Yeah. I think it's just people really wanted Emily Blunt. And yeah, Krasinski. man. It's it's <laughs> it's to the point where we're like, she already works, essentially has a relationship with Disney. She has Mary. She played Mary fucking Poppins, yeah. and she's gonna be in the Jungle Cruise movie with The Rock this year. It's not like she doesn't have a relationship with Disney. Krasinski met with them last year. <laughs> what? What? what it, I? I'm gonna say this is a rumor. I will not believe this until it's actually happened. As much as I love Jennifer Lawrence, I no, I, I, I yeah. can't. I don't believe it it's, until it's confirmed. I think everyone that's upset is actually. If you would have said Jennifer Lawrence is joining the MCU, everyone would be happy. Everyone would be yep. like, "This is fantastic. Mm. Yep. We love it. She's amazing." But because you named the one character that everyone's already like fan fan casted, it's like. Uh, like, really? <laughs> like, it, it, I think we spoke about it in our group chat. Like, the uh, w- the only twist is that Krasinski's playing Doom, which that would be interesting. But I think him being a big bad, intro- I, I don't think he'd be introduced for a while. I do think as as the actress and as, like, the... If, if she does get the role and she, this is the route that Disney's going, I love Jennifer Lawrence as the Invisible Woman. I think she's got the right... The right temperament, the mm-hmm. right style, the right look. Um, I think it's a fantastic, a fantastic casting. But much like everyone else, I'm like, but only if Emily Blunt has said she can't do it. <laughs> yeah, because for me, it's like it's not like she's going to do a bad job. She's going to do a great job. She's a, she's an Oscar winner for for fuck's sake. Exactly. But but it's yeah, it's it's not Emily Blunt. <laughs> <laughs> and after this week's Wandavision, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Um, but we'll get into that in a second and that's pretty much all the news Uh, to finish up before we get into Taxi Driver let's get into some of the stuff we watched this week Um, I'll get in I'll go first Uh, so I saw two documentaries actually three documentaries this week I saw On the Record which is about the uh, the victims of the Russell Simmons uh, harassment Uh, it's a documentary on HBO very detailed uh it's definitely a hard one, so I wouldn't say I recommend it because it's a very touchy subject. Uh, what I will recommend, I saw this this documentary called Scandalous. It came out late last year about the National Enquirer. It's on HBO. And it's insanely interesting how they obviously are very uncredible in terms of what they report. But there was a point in time where they lived on credibility in terms of the O.J. Simpson trial, and they document all that information. And they became one of like Time Magazine's most 25 influential properties in 1995 because of how they handled the O.J. trial. Very interesting stuff. Um, they also talk about how it led to um, how they were blamed for Princess Diana's death and then uh, the 2016 election as well. So it dives deep into all of that. Very, very interesting stuff I did not expect to be 
so riveted. This one I think you goes you guys would both like. It's an old documentary, but it's called Comic Con Episode Four: A Fan's Hope. <laughs> it's got all the things I need to hear in a it, title of a property. So it's an Amazon. It's on Amazon Prime, and it is a documentary about uh, three or four people that go to San Diego Comic Con, and I've never actually seen a documentary on San Diego Comic Con, so I just wanted to see the massive mammoth that San Diego Comic Con actually is. And it's it is what it is. It's extremely massive, but it's just stuff that New York Comic Con that we, Leo and I, have gone to many, many years uh, doesn't have. Like they actually have, and they talk about in the documentary a set um a section corded off for potential artists submitting their work to different uh, companies. Oh wow! And it has two artists that submit their work. One of them gets approved. The other one is told, you know, you need to work on your work, so on and so forth. It's very spoiler. Well, I'm not going to tell you which one though. <laughs> um, but the uh, the other one, you you have a couple that proposes at a Kevin Smith panel at Comic Con. But the funny thing is with that, and I I I showed Jenny this is the fact that he had to pick up the ring from a vendor, but she his girlfriend doesn't want to leave his site. So that that's actually very funny to look at. Uh so yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. It's a good watch for any comic geek like us. Uh, I also saw I Care A Lot, the new Netflix movie starring Roseman Pike. I highly, 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 highly recommend this. This is fantastic. Essentially, she plays a hustler who her and her girlfriend are st- are pretty much uh, becoming guardians for rich elderly and stealing all their money, selling their house off, their belongings. And then she they put a... Diane West, she plays an elderly who they try to hustle to, but she's actually the daughter of a mobster. So it's like a kind of a crime drama. It's so, so fun. I think you guys would definitely dig it. And Roseman Pike is incredible. And the man that plays the gangster is Peter Dinklage. So come on. (laughs) Come on. It's fantastic. Uh, And then I finally, outside of WandaVision, I finally started Friends. (laughs) <laughs> and um how far along are you now i'm uh two seasons and a half about a season actually no, a season and a half in okay um i see why it made an impact in 1994 95 this show is extremely dated <laughs> i i i i can see why it has the cultural phenomenon that it has with older folks but I understand why it's not really creating new fans. Like something like The Office is creating new fans on the regular. I see like this show is very in its time. Um, but I keep comparing it to like How I Met Your Mother, even though Friends came first. So that's yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty much because I know you called out like the stereotypes of like who is who. Yeah. But like I think you need to switch it. You can see who inspired those characters on How I Met Your Mother. I I can say I love Phoebe. She is my favorite character without a doubt. And um, Chandler, those are the two that I really like. Good so, man, yeah. good man. That's, so you, that, means, that means you get the show. That's I, it. I've been told. Yeah, I was talking to uh, JC, uh, and he actually has said the same thing. He said that if you like those two, you kind of get you're you're not you're not wrong. You're kind of on the right track of who to like on the show. I I, I don't understand how anyone thinks that Rachel and Ross, and I'm only a season and a half in. I have no idea where it's going. Think that's a good couple. Because that couple is terrible. They're like they're just absolutely yeah. terrible. And like 
I, I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, with our buddy Kevin that we've spoken about, like Jim and Pam, and like how he didn't like that Jim cheat or Pam cheated on Roy. Like, yo, these two cheat on everybody with each other. <laughs> like, well, what are you talking about? I'm watching this show and I'm like, well, who likes these two? These two are terrible people. But yeah, that this I don't. I'm gonna guess that they end up together because that's what this type of show does. But I guarantee when they have their reunion, they're probably divorced because they are. Just terrible relationship. But yeah, that's all I watched this week. Uh, Ryan, what do you got? Um, mostly the X-Men first class series. Like the last couple, I introduced Casey to all that. She enjoyed him. Uh, for me, it was a nice little rewatch. We both agree Apocalypse is the worst. Yes. Uh, Dark Phoenix is just Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Days of Future Past is still top tier. If it wasn't for Logan, it would be the best. And yeah, that's pr- and WandaVision. That's pretty much been my watch list this week. And Leo? Uh, so, I guess right on the heels of last episode, <laughs> I watched uh, Willy's Wonderland. Yes! Uh, with Nicolas Cage and a bunch of no-namers that are trash. Can, can but I, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> can I know your thoughts on <laughs> on the movie? The movie was honestly really fun. Mm-hmm. At one point, I kind of like realized I'm like, this kind of feels like Nicolas Cage stumbled on a set of a movie they were filming and just was Nicolas Cage. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why there's no. And I mean, the spoiler that I kind of found out last week that it didn't really spoil anything. I think that's why he has no lines because there was like a documentary crew just filming Nicolas Cage. That's not really a movie, <laughs> but a fun movie, super fun, really fantastic. It felt very B B horror. Yep. Um, I loved it. Really fun time. Um, then not such a fun loving time, but also like a really nice thing was I watched Batman and Bill, yes. a documentary about Bill Finger and, uh, and which is a, a co-creator, if not the sole creator of, Batman. <laughs> uh, yeah, fantastic documentary, Dave. Thank you for recommending it. Uh, no it really it gives a lot of information about the just the creation and just a crazy amount of drama behind the scenes of that whole thing. Um, really, really fun um, at the end. Uh, if you get a chance to watch it, I'm not going to spoil it's pretty much what happens in it, but it's, it's a, definitely worth your time. Um, I'm still on my... It's no longer a binge watching of Big Bang Theory because for Lent, I have given up binge watching. <laughs> so I've limited myself to two episodes a day. That must be but brutal. It's unlike I, I hadn't realized how it's funny because like, just hearing Scorsese's words about content. Yeah. I'm like, yo, yeah, man, that's me. I just consume content. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, yeah, so it's, it's different, but. Um, I'm, I'm I'm almost at the end. When Lent started, I was really at, I'm at season eleven, episode like fifteen or something. Um, the show has grown on me. A lot of cool stuff for those nerds and geeks and outcasts about Comic Con and Star Wars and superheroes. Um, I still think the show has a lot of opportunities. I think it's still one of those things where like being part of this world. I still don't like a lot of the decisions they made about character development. Yeah, I agree. Like we're not all losers, right? We're not all allergic to people. Um, but I think some of the fun times in the show like have definitely have made up for it. Like I, I generally care. It's no long. It's definitely not as um, I'm not as invested emotionally as I was towards the cast of Friends or The Office. Makes sense. Or or Parks and Rec. Um, but it's it's good. It's good. Um, oh my god! I I I'm when you finish, I forgot to mention something as well. Uh, yeah, and then I watched 
Taxi Driver for today's conversation and WandaVision, which I know we all have a lot of things to talk about. Yeah, I actually just finished Parks and Rec about a week and a half ago, and I forgot to mention it last yeah, week. Yeah, I say, I know you mentioned you had started that up, which is... A, uh, it's... I'm going to say that um, I should have never waited this long for it. Yeah. It it starts off as very much, it feels like I'm watching The Office. But yeah, like just, poor man's off, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, why am I even watching this? But then, probably end of by the end of the first season, it just takes off for me. That show is, I like, I think it's something really, really special. Like, there's a lot, and you mentioned like emotionally invested. I am emotionally right? invested in every single character on that show. And I actually will say this: I'm more invested at the end of the series into these characters than I actually was of The Office. Yeah, the heart in Parks and Rec. It. It yep. sneaks up on you. <laughs> like, there is a very... This is towards the end of the run. Have you ever seen Parks and Rec, Rye? I have not. Okay, so it's on It's on Peacock. It's very, very, you know, it's really, really solid. But there's a spoiler, a minor spoiler. There's an episode towards the end, Leo, with Ron Swanson and... Oh. When, they, when they're stuck... You know what I'm talking about, right? When they're yeah. stuck in the office and they go through mm-hmm. all... That hit me hard, man. <laughs> Yeah, like when Leslie, I was when when yeah when Ron tells Leslie what why he did what he did, dude, that that hit me hard, and I was like, dude, I care about everyone on this show. <laughs> the show is I yeah I same like you, Dave. Same exactly like you. I stayed away. I'm like, why am I even gonna bother with the show? This is really just a like a bootleg office. Mm-hmm. Like, I, if I watch The Office, I know what's gonna happen in this show. Season one was a little bit of a, of a rough one, I'll be honest. I think the show hadn't found exactly what they wanted to do, and they were trying to be too much like The Office. And then, at the end of season one and onwards, they found their own style. Oh, yeah. And, but yeah, I much like exactly how you said, I found myself caring about everybody to, like, an emotional investment. And the finale, like, I think the finale hits really well. I think they right? close is, everyone isn't that up. on your list? Isn't that one of your lists? Of, like, would it make your list of, yeah, like, now better? Yeah, fina- yep. Yeah. And I will totally say, and Ryan, Leo, for Ryan, I think Ryan will love Andy. Oh, my gosh, yes. Like, that's a spirit animal. Like, I watch that, and I'm like, oh, my God. Actually, no. Uh... Definitely love Ron. Ron is one of those characters. Oh, Ron's that... a man. Ron's, <laughs> Ron's officially one of my favorite TV characters of all time. Like he is fucking <laughs> hilarious. No, but Ryan, because every you know we all we always poke fun of Ryan on here. Ryan probably would be our Jerry. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but I have a feeling. Fuck you. <laughs> no, dude, I love no, Jerry. Okay. Like not by the even. way, by the way that I thought by the way that Leo laughed, I take that fuck you back. No. <laughs> Jerry is possibly the best character yes, on yes, that yes, show. Yes, and he's not a main character, right? He's very supporting. But like okay. when his appearance, and he's on every episode. But man, he is so fucking funny. You know how sometimes, and I can throw in the joke. You know how sometimes, like when we do the wrestling podcast, um, cheap plug to yeah. main event roundtable. The you know how sometimes you mess up on the names and stuff like that. Yeah, Jerry's always messing something up. <laughs> and everyone always they love him but they always they just don't want to be around him and they always make it's such a running joke the entire series but his payoff is actually my favorite payoff at the end of the series yeah. like yeah. it's just so out of left field that it works ryan trust me you're you're, you're jerry okay, yeah it's, it's everything right with the world but he doesn't get the credit he deserves yep um so yeah so parks and rec if you guys haven't seen it fans of the office over here where we love the office parks and rec is definitely a must watch now let's get to wild division this week because yes. there's, a lot, there's a lot to talk about um overall thought, 
Overall, over, overall. Oh, yeah, go for ahead. For our Neil. listeners, there will be many, many spoilers. So yes. if you don't, <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet, stop listening. <laughs> so, can, can I pat myself on the back for my? Can we just get into spoilers? Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. Can, so. Yo, so can I pat myself on the back for uh, revealing the villain in week one? Yeah. Right. Like, so we know who the villain is. It's Agatha Harkness. Agnes is Ag- Agatha Harkness. But I, I'll start off with this for both of you. Is she the villain? And I say yeah. that with the question. Do you think that's it, right? So you're right. You think she's it? Oh, yeah. And I think she's going to probably... I know it's a couple years out now, but I think she's going to have a major effect in the next Doctor Strange as well. Interesting. Leo, thoughts? So I find her to be a yep. villainous person, right? Okay. She's doing villainous actions. But I think this is more of like a Casilius in Doctor Strange, okay. where like he's trying to summon Dormammu. I think... Agatha Harkness is trying to either like, harness energy, summon something larger. I don't know if she's like the big bad. She's a bad, but I think it's calling in Mephisto. something else bigger than her. Mephisto. Yeah. You know, it's something something that I didn't realize. Um, you know how Mephisto is a, essentially the devil. Um, they're in New Jersey, home of the New Jersey devil. <laughs> Bro. Oh, <dude. laughs> Actually, Dave, uh, Dave and Ryan, uh, after the, this week's episode, obviously the next thing I did was let's look up the comics, right? What's yep. the source material? What's going on here? The cool thing about Agatha Harkness that I had no idea about is that when she first started in the comics, she was Franklin Richards' nanny. Hmm. hmm. Which means she, her ties to the Fantastic Four are pretty legit. And if we're getting Fantastic Four older, you could kind of... Hmm, interesting. There's there's some cool stuff in there. A lot yeah. of the stuff that happens with Agatha Harkness at the beginning, before she takes on the tutelage of the Scarlet Witch, has to do with the Fantastic Four. Even a storyline in which um, something is being summoned, its soul is split up into many different parts, and the twins of Wanda Maximoff are actually involved with that. I was like, oh, wow. So Agatha Harkness is someone to keep an eye on, and I think it now makes sense on why they cast an actress that has been in feature films. Yeah, because Catherine Hahn is fantastic. Uh, yeah. Also in Parks and Rec. Um, yeah, good memory. Nice. <laughs> I, uh, before I go to Rye, I never knew how much I wanted a Darcy and Vision comedy buddy cop series. <laughs> <laughs> those two are hilarious. Like, I died with those two on, on Friday. But Ryan, any thoughts so far on this uh, episode? Um... The antidepressant commercial was awesome. Um, Monica getting her powers. Um, according to at least what something that Casey read, and she read it to me, that was Nick's voice that she heard going through the uh, field. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched it with closed captioning, and like in the voiceovers, it was it was uh, Captain Marvel, Nick Fury, and uh, and Maria Rambo. Yeah, um, I we just touched on it, but I absolutely love Darcy. She was not she, she can I I would like a nice little comedy hour with her. Yeah, no, my <laughs> gosh, she's so funny. Question: So let's say this is Mephisto, and Mephisto's the big bad. Mephisto's a shapeshifter, right? Yeah, so Mephisto's like like you said, he's the devil, right? Like that's like the master of deception, illusion. Uh, so yes, he does. He can change the shape. So I have a question for both of you. Just a fun question. This is probably not going to happen, but it's just let's say Mephisto's been around since the beginning of the MCU, and he's been shape shifting into a specific character. Who do you think that character is? If you had a guess, 
Oh, like if he's been like pulling like the strings. Like he's everyone. been around since he's been in the MCU since day one, since Iron Man. Kobe Smothers. Maybe Interesting. Not day one, but I still. Like what? Who, you you agree with that one? So I think it maybe would be one of those things where like he changes his shape depending on the movie. So like he could be like um, he could be uh, not Erskine, but he can be the the doctor that saves Tony in 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 Iron Man one, mm. and then he could change his shape into someone completely different, like in Thor. Um, I do like the Maria Hill though. That's a really good one, right? Thank you, Maria Hill. Thank you. So I I have one and. It kind of make it kind of the continuity wise. It makes sense. Hear me out, guys. Stan Lee. Oh. oh. Every single cameo and his last cameo is in Avengers Endgame. As this phase ends. If it's not Stan Lee, everyone stop what they're doing. Right <laughs> into Marvel Studios and start a petition that it needs to be Stan Lee and give that credit to my boy David. Like I just thought because I was thinking about it because I I. Had I don't know too much about Mephesto. I just thought about the shape-shifting. I'm like, oh, what if he's been around the entire time? And this kind of started when we started talking about Shang-Chi and the rings, how the rings have been around since day one. I'm like, what if Mephesto's been around since day one? I'm like, what if it's Stan Lee? Because Stan Lee, it's he's just there. He And he randomly appears in locations. Why he's, why, you know, we know why he's there as a fan, but like, continuity-wise, why is he there? Although they've kind of Tease that he's a watcher because they uh, had him with them in the Guardians post credit scene. Why? Why you? Why do you ruin the fun stuff, Ryan? Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> I'm just. Gonna, I want to be right. I'm just, I'm just gonna ruin happiness. I'm just gonna call you Toby from now on. <laughs> as long as I'm not the goddamn pimp. Um, and I'm trying. So there's a lot of going on in the Wandavision stuff. There's a lot of disappointment coming up from the monica rambo engineer thing i i don't think that's the engineer i think the engineer gave this soldier that device like that's that's his girl like that's that's his homie like he trusts her enough or she trusted her enough to give her that contraption to monica that's where i think do you guys think differently i love that Mm -hmm. Because no, that would be too much of a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like you're right. Like the engineer, like Monica contacted her engineer buddy. Engineer created this whole contraption, sent it via this uh, soldier, and that's not it. It can't end there. Ryan, do you agree, or do you have any other thoughts? No, um, on the episode as a whole, or just what we're talking about? No, just on this subject. Just on this subject, no. And. This kind of could trigger the introduction of the engineer because his contraption failed miserably. <laughs> so that could be like, or maybe I got to do something, do it myself. And then finally, we could finish up on the Pietro post credit scene because Agatha pretty much said that she created Pietro, but then you see Pietro in the post credits. So is Pietro a figment or is Pietro actually here? Ryan, what do you think? I think because I've read that she can bend realms, I think that she he's actually here. Okay. And Leo, do you think the same? So it's actually funny. I now, because even though I, I, I'm willing to think, okay, you definitely got the Agatha Harkness thing right, I think this is now proving that we got the Quicksilver thing wrong. Um, I don't think that's Pietro Maximoff. I don't think that's Quicksilver. I think it's someone in that town that she's imbued with powers to mimic Quicksilver. 
Um, and I think there's been a little bit of like a weird uh, spoiler that was given out by the David and my favorite company, Funko. Um, oh, did earlier, they? Earlier, or well, earlier, and this is something that I think I just realized, and I think it's like it was staring us in the face and we missed it. Earlier this month or last month, Funko released a Quicksilver pop of the Evan Peters in Wanda in WandaVision event, right? Okay. Uh, so it's him with him wearing the the trick or treat costume. Yeah. But the name on the box, the character name is quote Pietro Maximoff. It's oh, in quotation. I didn't see that at all. I yeah, totally that's... missed it. I totally missed it. So I'm like, wait, if they're putting the name in quotes, then that's actually like even a call out that maybe he's not even Pietro Maximoff. Good, good find. Um, so if he isn't, I, I think actually, he's a regular dude. I think he's a regular dude under the mind control of um, a bag of Harkness. I think if it isn't him, I think that's Stephen Strange. I think that's Doctor Strange. Hmm. Using uh, his stone to to con- to control Pietro or whoever that guy is. Dope. So I mean, I know Strange is in the show, so it's like the worst kept secret because we know he's going to be in one of the last two mm-hmm. episodes. So. Uh, yeah, so that's our talk on WandaVision. We have two episodes left, and the best news is that we may have two episodes left, but we only have a week break, and then we get Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, you, nice. I, totally, I, I totally missed the fact that it premieres the day after the the, the Snyder cut. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so DC gets, like, one day of, like, being top of the line. And then... Mar- Marvel? <laughs> just Marvel knows it. I remember when they dropped. I think I, I forgot what movie trailer it dropped. It was it was a big DC release, and then the day after we got a <laughs> an end game trailer. Like, okay, you can have your twenty four hours. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's not, no, we'll talk about that when it happens. Uh, so that that wraps up the news. This is and and discussion on Wandavision. This was great. Two episodes left. I can't wait to see what happens. But let's get into why we're here. Let's get into. Taxi Driver, 45th anniversary. I think I'm the only one that thinks this is Marty's best film. I know you guys think differently, but this movie hits on all levels. But I'll kick it off with this. When did you first watch Taxi Driver? And was it for this podcast, Ryan? Um, No, I watched it a couple years ago, I believe. And did you like it originally or too slow for your taste? No, I liked it fine. It wasn't like something I would go back to but like over and over again but it was a good movie like i wouldn't say anything bad about it leo what about you uh i watched it for the first time around 2007 i think i watched it for my uh my my class music in film while i was uh, i took music in film at at, at rucker i took that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, dude, I took, I took it at Montclair State, and oh. we, we reviewed music and film scores, right? And I know, Dave, you must have loved that class just as much as I did. It was one like... of my favorite. It's actually my favorite class I ever took in college. <laughs> yeah, man, but we went over, um, who like a little bit of a spoiler, but we go over my sixth man, Bernard Herrmann, um, and, and his music in this film. And I honestly, yeah, well, focusing on the music more than the actual premise of the movie, it, I still loved the movie. I thought it was a really fantastic film, but... Yeah, that was my first time ever watching Taxi Driver, and I was like, "Wow, that's funny." Um, yeah, see, so for me, it was I was I had first seen Goodfellas, and that was the first Marty film I had seen, and that kind of just I was, I think two thousand. Oh man, I don't even remember. Uh, 
I think I was a freshman in high school. And then I just kind of took off from there. And then I saw Taxi Driver. And I'm like, oh, this is good. Really good. I'm like, is that really, really? a t- is that really a twelve year old? <laughs> like I, I had so many questions. <laughs> but uh we're gonna get we're gonna get into it now. In terms of the production of the film, we'll start off from there as usual. So the uh Marty shot this on a budget of one point nine million dollars. According to Marty, it was Brian De Palma who introduced him to Paul Schrader, who is the screenwriter of the film. In Scorsese on Scorsese, Scorsese says that Taxi Driver arose from his feeling that movies are like dreams or drug-induced reveries. He attempted to incubate within the viewer the feeling of being in limbo uh, between sleeping and waking. He calls Travis an avenging angel floating through the streets of New York City intended to represent all cities everywhere. Scorsese calls attention to improvision improvisation in the film, such as in the scene between De Niro and Sybil Shepard in the coffee shop. Uh, he also cites Alfred Hitchcock's The Wrong Man and Jack Hazen's A Bigger Splash as inspiration for his camera work in the movie. Uh, I definitely see it with uh, Hitchcock's The Raw, The Wrong Man. I definitely see the inspiration camera-wise. Wow. In writing the script, Schrader was inspired by the diaries of Arthur Bremer, who shot presidential candidate George Wallace in 1972, and John Ford's uh, The Searchers. So, And he also was going through a hard depression at the time. So he actually wrote it under a really bad depression, which is pretty crazy. So in in our comparisons that we're going to talk about Joker in a little later, you know, the movie had a lot of con- Joker had a lot of controversies because of the climate that we were living in. But Taxi Driver had a lot of controversies as well. And there, I picked out three or yeah, three to touch base on. The first was the casting of Jodie Foster. So critics showed concern of her 12-year-old Foster's presence during a cinematic shootout. Foster said that she was present during the setup and staging of the special effects used during the scene. The entire process was explained and demonstrated for her step by step. Moreover, Foster says she was fascinated and entertained by the behind-the-scenes preparation that went into that final scene. In addition, before given the part, Foster was subjected to psychological testing Attending oh. attending sessions with a UCLA psychiatrist to ensure that she would not be emotionally scarred by her role. Mm. Uh, additional concerns surrounding Foster, uh, Foster's age focus on the roles that she played as Iris, a prostitute. Years later, she confesses how uncomfortable the treatment of her character was on set. Scorsese did not know how to approach different scenes with the actress, and he relied on Bobby to deliver his directions to the young actress. Which is interesting. Uh, Very interesting. Mm. The other bit of controversy revolved years later with John Hinckley Jr. I don't know if you guys knew about this. So Taxi Driver formed part of its delusional fantasy for John Hinckley Jr. that triggered his attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan in 1981, an act which he was found not guilty by the reason of insanity. Hinckley stated that his actions were an attempt to impress Jodie Foster, whom Hinckley was fixated with. So he decided to mimic Travis's mohawk appearance at the Palatine, Pal- Palatine rally and attempted to kill Ronald Reagan. And that was a huge wow. controversy a few years later, which, you know, we talk about MVPs of the film and, you know, she's not my MVP. She falls in another line. But I think when we go to peaks, this her career could have gone completely different with how she handled this whole situation with Hinckley yeah. and the fact that she goes on to win two Oscars in the next like 10 years is pretty incredible uh, and finally the movie received an X rating at first because of the 
uh, shootout at the end of the movie. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. So Scorsese, and I'm going to get into it more in the fun facts, did a little something with the colors of the scene, which led the X rating being changed back to an R rating. So the this movie, I can say from the start, when we get into the fun facts and our categories, would never work today. <laughs> Absolutely zero shot of it working today. Uh, box office wise, one point nine million dollars uh, was the budget, and it made twenty eight point four million. So relatively solid for nineteen seventy six. Uh, trophy room at Con. This movie won the Palm d'Or. LFCA won actor music new generation award BAFTA won score supporting actress most promising newcomer it was nominated for actor direction picture editing DGA score says he was nominated Golden Globe the move uh both De Niro and Jodie Foster were nominated the the Oscars De Niro nominated Jodie Foster nominated Herman nominated Picture, no Scorsese in director. What? <laughs> yep. I, uh, yeah. That that to this day pisses me off that he didn't get that the movie didn't get any love and no screenplay nomination either, which is bananas. So let's get to it, fellas. Age best. Leo, kick it off. Uh, New York crime, poverty, grungy feel <laughs> of the city. <laughs> I think that uh, Scorsese did a magnificent job of capturing what it feels like in like the twilight of New York City. Um, taxi cab confessionals. The <laughs> 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 fact of the matter is, like after that show on HBO premiered, you know for a fact everything Travis said he has to clean at the back of that seat is legitimately what cab drivers yep. have to clean off in the back of those seats. Um, war veteran treatment. Um, early in the film, you find that Travis Bickle is a, so he's a former Marine with an honorable discharge. And then the, I guess the new boss at the cab station says that he's one too. Um, and you're like, damn, like these men like fought for our freedom. And like, here they are trying like to make ends meet here. Like, I think that's still unfortunately true. Um, mental health treatment. I think there's many different points in this film where someone should have tried to help out Travis. Um, and then he's just honestly at that point, he's just shunned away from society and, um, the score, the score aged beautifully. I think Bernard Herrmann's score is one of those things that like it, it, it adds on to this film. Um, and I, I still get chills when I hear it. Right. Go ahead. Uh, for me, the camera style. Yeah. The Nero as a whole. And of course you're talking to me. Yep. So for me, I have a lot and I love this movie so much. So. The Scorsese taxi scene. So the reason I put that as a just because watch it, the more I watch it, the more I realize that Travis is triggered by those actions after his encounter with Scorsese in the cab because he sees that someone is unraveled and un as triggered as he is. Uh, Bobby's narration of New York in the opening that that I really love that uh, Herman score. Uh, Travis and the theater workers relationship. And you're probably wondering, what the fuck? Why did that age well? Because that lovely young lady that was working at the the porn theater is Robert De Niro's wife. Oh, shit. Wait, were they dating at the time? I don't know. 
I don't know. That's fantastic. So I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Um, And you'll probably think I'm crazy, because, but I'll explain why. The porn theater date has aged well. Do you want? Do you guys want to know why? Yes, because I have that. Uh, in, uh, uh, if, I have that in my worst. Uh, no, if, no, no, if no. You, no. If, if, if you if you tell me you took Jenny to a porn theater, <laughs> <laughs> no, hear me out. So the reason, as you hear the the fire the the firefighters passing by me, they probably think I'm crazy too. But <laughs> the reason I think this is age well is because it's all all men what not to do on a date. That's all I got for that. But it, it is in my age worst too, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, Travis's burgundy jacket. Why does it age well? Because Arthur wears the same color burgundy yes. in Joker. I'm so glad you brought that up, yes. The gun deal? I don't know why that tickles me, but like I just love that guy in the hotel room just knowing like how he handles the guns and, and describes the gun and gives the prices of the guns. Um, also, uh, the final shootout and 70s movies clapping push-ups. Because Rocky, the same year, had a lot of clapping push-ups. And then we have Bobby doing clapping push-ups. Uh, age worse, porn theaters in New York City. Uh, yeah. Taxi drivers as a whole. Also, yeah. <laughs> why does he need all that popcorn and candy when he's just going to masturbate in the theater? See, I don't think he went to masturbate. I think he's generally watching the movie. I think he's so depressed that I don't, I don't even know if he gets sexual gratification from the theater. Yeah. I agree with Leo. Interesting. Okay. Palantine posters. We are the people. That's an awful tagline. Uh, Palantine's agents. Why are they not arresting Travis the very moment he starts asking questions? (laughs) Thank you. I I, I, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, 12-year-olds playing hookers in movies. And finally, the most awkward, cringeworthy movie date in the history of film. You know, I joked about like it aging well because it shows what not to do on a date. But like the reality of the situation is that it's it I I it's hard not to look away and watching that scene. Like you just see him could progressively messing up this date over and over. And the heartbreaking thing about that is that he doesn't think he's doing that. <laughs> he yeah, thinks it's going yeah, well. He's, he's out, yeah. Uh but yeah, Leo, what do you got? Uh, so things that didn't age well, although they were uh Literally, they were a part of that time, but the homophobic and racist comments mm-hmm. in the in the movie it, they didn't age well. But it's not to say that it, it, it that's that was that was a thing that happened back then. So I'm like, okay, yeah, uh, gun control. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> much like you said, that that gun deal is wild. <laughs> so wild, like, and I I don't know if you've noticed the prices; they're kind of expensive. Yes. And like it's like a freaking it's, it was it was fun it was a fun scene just because mm. I'm like what the is this like a Walmart like a walk like what this is ridiculous oh yeah this is amazing service um I also called out security at political events crazy like that's nah nah bro um and my last thing that didn't age well and I feel bad saying this but Sybil Shepherd I just uh she was a freaking cutie back then <laughs> um, I had has she not aged well like literally. <laughs> Yeah, no, she she's definitely gone. Uh, life has not been kind to her. <laughs> uh-huh. What do you got, Ray? Uh, slurs and taking a date to a porno because you know you don't need to be taught that, in my opinion. You should just know not to take a date to a damn porno. But I guess you do need to be taught that. I mean, at that time, I don't even think there were <laughs> theaters. 
in New York, it seemed like every block there was so many fucking porn theaters. It's like a sure. staple of of Manhattan at the time. It's just it's just crazy watching those older seventy movies, and you're just like seeing how New York really was. Because then you have Annie Hall that comes out the following year and it romanticizes New York because that was like Woody Allen's staple with like shooting New York as a like a, a big character in the movie. This shoots it in a completely different way. Um. But yeah, no, great, great, great job, guys. Uh, play that funky music, white boy, because we can't talk about this movie without talking about Bernard Her- Herman. Uh, so Bernard Herman's wife says that Scorsese, uh, was an unknown at the time, of course, called her famous husband to ask Herman to do the score. He re- at first refused, saying, I don't write music for car movies. Herman only accepted after reading the script and then wrote a highly original score. So for me, score, uh, Herman is, probably my number two favorite composer of all time uh this score is completely different to anything he had ever done before it's so so different he scored all of hitchcock's movies literally almost every single one and he also scored citizen kane which actually was his first film he ever composed just shows how great he was uh not fun fact he died right after his session making the score oh wait of taxi driver yeah you're kidding me no swear to god yeah he he, they did a session uh and he died right after oh yeah pretty crazy um but the score is iconic it's it's Mm -hmm. one of the best of that era but let's get to it that guy ward which has a new name this this uh this week and will now be known as the Joe Spinell Award. Why? Because Joe Spinell is the cab driver, uh, the boss from the cab driver that interviews Bob Travis at the beginning of the movie. He is that guy in almost every movie. He is in The Godfather. <laughs> he is in The Godfather Part Two. He is the bookie in Rocky. So I'm uh, not the bookie. Yeah, he is the bookie, like the the mob guy in Rocky. So you know what? This guy, this award is now called the Joe Spinell Award. Love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love that. The Joe Spinell Award. Shout out to Joe Spinell. Rest in peace, my friend. Uh, for me, I went with Leonard Harris, who plays Palantine, because he was only in two movies, including Taxi Driver, his entire career. Uh, what do you got, Leo? Uh, I went with Albert Brooks, actually. Albert uh, Brooks? Really? Yeah, well, I mean, he may have had a better career after that and done other things, but I remember... Like when I saw it, I remember like, oh wait, that's that's that guy from uh from from Taxi Driver. <laughs> what do you got, Ry? I agree with you, Palatine, Leonard Harris. I'm and and I keep saying Palatine, Palatine, but it's makes me I keep thinking Palpatine. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's me why too, I'm like <laughs> saying it very slowly. Yeah, as we talked about earlier, I mess up on names. I'm like Palatine. <laughs> There's no crying in baseball. There's no tear jerky moment in this film so i'm just gonna buy crying no crying (laughs) detlef shift six man of the film award i kind of spoiled it before jodie foster she is incredible for 12 and people forget as a 12 year old to have that type of performance is bananas how good she is in this movie her chemistry with de niro is fantastic like jodie foster is incredible uh what do you got leo I went actually with Bernard Herrmann. Yes. Um, and I think in the score, I think if you remove this score from that movie, as I learned back when I was in college, <laughs> that movie <laughs> is still is fantastic, but I think it just adds on to like the slow descent into madness. Yep. The music just goes really well with it. Uh, quick, quick question, Dave. Because Jody was so young, and you mentioned in your earlier, the production notes, 
that she was so fascinated by the way the movie was made. Would you even say that maybe it was her working with Scorsese at such a young age that made her into the filmmaker that she is now? Could be, because I think Jodie has had a remarkably incredible career. And when you work with someone like Marty, you can either take those trick tricks that you learn and go along and make it, you know, influence your career. Or you, you know, just forget about it. And I think she, yeah, she, she took it and ran with it. And she is in one of the all time greats of this generation. It could be one of those like family tree things where she's like from the tree of the Martin Scorsese school of film. <laughs> it's like the Sean McVay tree of coaching. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what What do you got, uh, Rye? Uh, for supporting, uh, Iris Jody, Jody Foster. Foster. Great. Nice. Uh, Becky O'Shea, Icebox MVP of the Film Award. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who doesn't have him? <laughs> Good. Great. We all have Robert De Niro. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's performance. Honestly, yeah. I yeah this is, for me, in the top 10 best performances I've ever seen. Like, this, this is fantastic. Like, this is so so good i don't think it's his best performance i still think godfather 2 and raging bull are his best performances but in terms of favorite i think that this is outside of godfather 2 this is my uh, my second favorite de niro performance raging bull would probably be his best second best but for me personally i think um it's my second favorite of his well i'll uh, be honest dave i kind of went back and forth on this one i don't I, i think de niro for sure but how much of this is actual scorsese's direction too like, I, I, I honestly, with me, I, I kept it as a co-MVP. I think Scorsese and De Niro just worked great in this. Um, I don't, I, I, because, I, like, without Scorsese there, is it really going to be the same kind of film? Great. No, just, absolutely not. Yeah, so no I, I kept it as, I, I cheated, I cheated. I put both. No, it's fine. I, I, I think because I've seen Mean Streets, and Bobby is good in Mean Streets, but, and that's his first film with Marty, but... Well, the level he takes at the taxi driver is incredible. You're gonna, I'm gonna get into it in the in the fun fact. Peaks and valleys, peak, civil shepherd, shepherd, because that's it. Like this is this she she ain't do better than this. Uh, do you have anything else for anyone else for peak, Rye and Leo? No, I have the same as you. What about you, Leo? No, because I know civil shepherd did end up having a pretty good career on TV. Okay. Um, but I actually put Leonard Harris. Cause oh, like, okay. Dude was like a named character, mo- driving motivation in a Scorsese movie, and then did nothing after this. And and um, before we go to Valley, something I didn't mention in my age best that I I really really loved. If Taxi Driver came out today, I think that um, Travis would have killed the senator. So I actually like love Scorsese's bait and switch that he doesn't kill the senator that it goes wrong which ultimately leads to the final shootout at the end i think that was actually really genius filmmaking because and writing because in normal circumstances you were all programmed to think oh yeah you know he's just gonna kill the senator and then the events after that it triggers the the final act so i do love that he doesn't kill him uh and valley uh this is a three-way tie because i because it is <laughs> Uh, Bobby, Marty, and Jody. I mean, that's... Yeah. <laughs> one, they all qualify for the rule of you win an Oscar. All three have won. Bobby has won uh, an Oscar after this. He had already won an Oscar. Jody has won two Oscars. Marty won an Oscar. Uh, so I have those three. Do you have any... Yeah, I think 
I think I think Jody specifically because she was like a child. So like her whole life happened after this. <laughs> what about you, Rye? Yeah, I just stuck with Jody because I don't cheat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're gonna hate me on our next podcast, Rye. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, for Jody, and, and I think if we had to pick one, Jody with what she went through with that whole uh, the stalker that she had, she probably had the most to deal with. And to become a two-time Oscar winner, winning direct actor and now director is says a lot about her. But let's get into it. Fun facts, and then we're going to finish off with our comparison to Joker. And then I can't wait for Ryan to tell me he thinks Joker is better than Taxi Driver. It's going to be a wonderful conversation. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> taxi, taxi Driver facts. Number one, Martin Scorsese claims that the most important shot of the movie is when Bickle is on the phone trying to get another date with Betsy. The camera moves on the side slowly and pans down the long, empty hallway next to Bickle as if to suggest that the phone conversation is too painful and pathetic to bear. This shot also showcases his isolation and loneliness. There, never paid attention because I actually um, love the cinem- cinematography on here. So when I saw the fun facts doing the research, I went back and saw the shot and it works really well. Uh, two, between... The time De Niro signed on to do Taxi Driver, he signed a $35,000 contract to appear in the film. After it be- And when it began filming, he won the Oscar for Godfather 2 and his profile soared. He blew up. But because the producer were worried that De Niro would ask for a larger pay raise, there was a chance that he was actually going to be replaced on the film. But De Niro said no. He was going to honor his original deal to make sure the movie was made. Good man. Good man. Uh, Bobby De Niro worked 15 hour days um, for a month driving cabs as a preparation for the film. He also studied mental illness during his off time while filming when filming 1900 visited a U.S. Army base in northern Italy and a tape recorded conversation with Midwestern soldiers so he could pick up their accent. Uh, on one of his fairs, this is a fun story. On one of his fairs, there was a struggling actor who actually recognized him from Godfather 2. So the young actor said to De Niro, discouragingly, you just want an actor? My God, is that is it that hard to get work? <laughs> um, next up, Jodie Foster was 12 years old when the movie was made, which we spoke about before. I'm surprised you guys didn't ask this. I, I thought you were going to ask this, Leo. Did she do those more uncomfortable, like more sexual scenes, like the dancing scene with Harvey Keitel? No, her older sister, Connie Foster, who was 19 at the time, did was Jody's body double. Oh, wow. Mm. The story oh. was partially autobiographical for Paul Schrader, who I mentioned, who suffered a nervous breakdown while, film, while living in Los Angeles. He was fired from the AFI, basically friendless, and in the midst of a divorce, and was uh, rejected by a girlfriend. Because of all that, he wrote Taxi Driver. Uh, number six, in the dinner scene, 12-year-old, 12-year-old Iris adds sugar to her toast, which is already covered in jelly. Some viewers interpret this character trait as Iris still being a kid at heart. However, this was not the intention. The other hooker who walks the street with Iris in the film is an actual prostitute whom Jodie Foster showed Shadow to prepare for the role. The prostitute was also a heroin addict, and in one way in which she would quell her addiction was to add extra sugar to her meals wow yeah pretty crazy stuff can't get away with that today um 
The film was shot on a tight schedule, largely on location in 1974 during a sweltering New York City summer. The conditions of the shoot helped define the film. And I get that because you can tell it's very, very, very hot through a lot of the scenes, especially when they're hanging out in the cab stand. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next up, in an interview with Roger Ebert, Martin Scorsese called it my feminist film because it takes macho to its logical conclusion. The better man is the man who can kill you. The movie shows the kind of thinking shows this kind of problems with men have bouncing back and forth between their perception of women as goodness, goddesses, and whores. Thoughts on that quote, guys? <laughs> Ma- Marty, Marty never pulls trigger. Uh, Melanie Griffith was originally offered the role of Ivers, but her mother, Tippi Hedren, who is in Alfred Hitchcock films, made her turn down the offer. She was the first choice to play the part. Which would have been interesting, yeah. Martin Scorsese uh, replaced Griffith with Linda Blair. Do you guys know where Linda Blair's from? Wait, is that that's before The Exorcist? After The Exorcist, four years after. After The Exorcist, okay, okay. Uh, Blair also withdrew, and Scorsese replaced Blair with Jodie Foster. But there were more than 200 people that that, uh, applied for the role of Iris. Uh, next up, Columbia Pictures wanted the entirety of the cin- climatic shoot cut from the film, and I mentioned the X rating. So, what Scorsese did was he toned down the colors. He desaturated the colors of the scene. So, when you watch that scene, it feels like very dry, and it feels like a, a Zack Snyder movie. Um, <laughs> so, I have an episode where I'll talk about Snyder. I know. The obsession is real. That is the greatest description of what he did, though, because he sapped sapped all the color. He took all the way the colors, and that's how he got his R rating, by desaturating the color. Uh, Around the time of the film, Tony Bill was considering directing the movie, and Paul Schrader sent the script to my my homie, Al Pacino. And Al Pacino declined the role. Can we get a movie where De Niro and Pacino are not linked to each other <laughs> i think at that time you know they're linked because i think those are the two best in the game at that time that's wild like man. i that's think so... de, de niro pacino had a rough 80s because he left hollywood to do broadway and plays and stuff like that so kind of de niro took the took the mantle in the 80s but for like the 70s and early early 80s it was like de niro and pacino for for everything he and i can't even do the voice because pacino didn't have the the Hooah voice at that time. Not so you, then, yeah, not yeah. then. Yeah. So you can't say, Hooah, you talking to me? Hooah. <laughs> Do you want to go to that theater? Hooah. <laughs> uh, other actors that were considered uh, for the roles of Travis Jeff Bridges, Jack Nicholson, Dustin Hoffman, Warren Beatty, Burt Reynolds. Ryan O'Neill, Peter Fonda, I mentioned Pacino, John Voigt, Robert Blake, David Carradine, Richard Dreyfus, Christopher Walken, James Kahn, Roy Schrader, Paul Newman, Marlon Brando, Martin Sheen, Elliot Gold, Alan Alda, George Hamilton. Wow. Nicholson would have been interesting. That's, That's the funny. One. I'm, I'm trying to vision that right now myself. Like, is he? Cre- I think he'd be too creepy, though. <laughs> I Was he creepy at the time, though? Uh, well, I'm thinking Cuckoo's Nest, Jack, right? And it was, Nest, it was Cuckoo's Nest era, yeah. yeah. Interesting, would have been interesting. He has a very interesting, like, I mean, like we love it now because of like the Joker kind of like grin yeah. and and like, I'm like, I don't know, I, I think Travis has a little bit more of like a tortured look. 
than than Nicholson. Uh, Premiere voted the movie as one of the 25 most dangerous movies ever made. Oh. Uh, I wonder how they feel about Joker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the film draws many parallels with the serial killer, David Berkowitz, who is also known as the Son of Sam. He and Travis were mentally ill soldiers, ex-soldiers who were disgusted with what they saw with the degradation of the mid-1970s in New York City. Both were insomniacs, both used forty-four calibers, and uh, Berkowitz wrote, uh, worked as a taxi driver before joining the post office. Very, very scary stuff. Uh, Gene Siskel, who was notorious, I, I, and this may be blasphemous for us for a cinephile to say this, but I wonder if like Siskel and Ebert just got the cred that they got because they were the first, because they have some outrageous takes. <laughs> Like Cisco, uh, Cisco gave this movie two thumbs down. Uh, Roger Ebert liked it. Uh, Cisco called it unpleasant and unnecessary. Oh wow! Yeah, and then last three, last three here. In late January two thousand five, a sequel was announced by De Niro and Scorsese. Why? In two thousand thirteen, it revealed that Schrader had done a first draft, but he and Scorsese thought it was not good enough to go beyond that point. Cool. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if they were ever getting one. Uh, Paul Schrader revealed in the original script Travis Bickle was a racist and only targeted black people. <laughs> After the discussion with Marty, it was decided that that would not be wise and the script was rewritten. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then uh, De Niro's mohawk was not real. It was actually a fake. Oh, Wait, wow. so like he shaved his whole head and they put a fake mohawk on? No, he didn't shave at all. It was a, a prosthetic. Oh wow! Good yeah, job. I, I've actually seen it. It's actually the, in the Museum of Moving uh, Image in in Queens, in New York. It's no. it's very it's very old. <laughs> you can you can tell. And then finally, many critics and fans have speculated that Travis Bickle actually died during the climactic shootout by Iris's parents via letter, and talks to Betsy when she rides in his taxi by chance are either his dying delusions, or pure fantasy. Scorsese and Schrader both provided commentary. And uh, and deny this theory. Scorsese said that the cab ride with Travis and Betsy is a real event with Travis' ambiguous uh, look after they leave after she leaves the cab, indicating uncertainty over his own thoughts. So, before before we get into Jack uh, Joker and Taxi Driver, this is we kind of talked about off the air the whole Joker ending and Taxi Driver ending, and I think the Joker and he's completely inspired by like this cab ride. Do you think he's dead, Leo? Uh, no, no. I think that the movie plays out the way the movie plays out. I think I, I do love the fact that we have to question it because that means that yep, did Marty's job. direction did its job. Yeah. But no, I think it's, it is what it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree with Leo. It is what it is. He picked her up and there's nothing else to it. Yep. I, I agree. I think I think what seals that for me is the fact that they have a conversation that doesn't revolve with her saying, you know, let's, you know, do you do want to meet up later? It's a simple cab mm-hmm. ride, you know, and Travis is left wondering, you know, what's the future hold for him? So I, I totally agree. And finally, we can talk about 2019's Joker. And the reason that I want to do this little comparison is because this movie is absolutely compared to Taxi Driver and it's completely influenced by Taxi Driver. So, I'll start with Ryan because I know. Hmm. Do you think it has full inspiration from Taxi Driver? I see, like I 
took notes and I see a good amount of similarities. But, you know, just like every movie, I think, has similarities. Simpsons did it kind of deal. You know what I mean? Uh, Leo. Uh, yeah, I very, very heavy in, in inspiration from it. Um, it's actually funny. Like, I know we, we, we all have our own disdain for reboots and remakes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if someone were to tell me this was a remake of Taxi Driver, I would be okay with it because it does so much to pay homage to the source material of the original, but it changes it to a completely different story of it. Like it adds elements that the original didn't have. It, it's not a, like a, yeah, I, I felt like it, there's definitely inspiration on it, um, but they're not the identical same story. Yep. I, I think that there is a lot to just, you know, to look at Joker and say, yeah, this is taxi driver part two kind of, like the sequel that never was type of thing. But because it also has inspirations from King of Comedy, I think it's more a tribute and influence to Martin Scorsese films, not just Taxi Driver. Because when yeah, you look at sense. when you look at Arthur and Travis, like they're both have mental illnesses, but mm-hmm. Travis has a, a, a sense of morality where he thinks he can be a hero, while Arthur Fleck is kind of he has no heroic impulses. Mm-hmm. Um do you disagree? Uh Rye? I'm just thinking back. I'm like, I mean, no, because I was going to say when he kind of helps, he was going to help the girl on the subway, but he decided not to. Yeah, I think, too, we look at the end of Joker. Travis, who he kills, is not, they're all bad, quote, unquote, bad people. And Joker, Arthur, kills Murray, which in his eyes is a bad person. But to others, he may not be a bad person. Mm-hmm. So it goes depends on like your per, your per, uh, perception of the whole situation. Uh, uh, Arthur, once he becomes a Joker, is also less empathetic. Like you, oh, yeah. you don't feel for him anymore. You know he is the villain now. And then with yeah. Travis, you kind of never. You always you know he's not a good person, but it's also difficult not to root for him. Like you don't. We as comic book fans root for Joker because we like him as a villain. But we know that he's an evil person. With Travis, see, yeah, go ahead. When it comes to this movie in particular, like I said to Casey, take away Joker, take away Wayne, like make it, call it Carnival, like his stage name, and it's still, I would still love the movie as much as I do. And it's still an excellent, you know, but go on, sorry. Do you, and, and this is my two cents. I think Joker's, and I, I love Joker, and rewatching, I still think it's fantastic. Um, it's also a much darker than Taxi Driver, and that's saying something. Yeah, <laughs> like I think Not... J- Joker is a very, very like you're very you feel gross with yourself at the end because of how dark it is, right? Um, I can see it, but especially the scene with uh him and his former buddy from the cl- I can't remember his name. Mm-hmm. I just watched it last night. Um, his buddy from the clown, uh. Thing, the one who gave him the gun. Yeah. Yeah, like that was definitely uh, gory and shit like that. You don't definitely get as much gore, like that kind of stuff in Taxi Driver. So, yeah, I can see that. Leo, any thoughts? See, it's funny. I actually think Taxi Driver is darker than Joker, but it's simply because I think Scorsese did a better job than Phillips did at making me also get down like into madness. Like I feel like the, the the way the movie was shot with like the long taxi drives and the lighting, like I felt like I was becoming sleep deprived just by watching the movie. 
Like I started feeling more tired. Um, whereas in Joker, I, I, I got the sympathy, right? I understood where the character was coming from and, and how everything was getting worse and worse and worse on him. But I think just the way it was shot, I think it, it made me more like likely to be like, I understand where this character is coming from. This is, I'm just watching a movie and I'm feeling this kind of way. I can only imagine what living a life like this feels like. Yeah, um, that's a that's a great point. I think that shows the difference between Scorsese and Phillips. I think Scorsese can manipulate his audience to make them feel a certain way and empathize, empathize yeah. for a character you shouldn't. We watch Joker and we feel a certain way because we know who the character is. And I think despite the fact that Joker is the farthest thing from a comic book film, it very much uses that as a crutch to make us care for Arthur as opposed to Taxi Driver where he builds empathy for Travis when we shouldn't feel. It's kind of like the Tony Soprano comparison. Like Tony mm. Soprano, we don't, we're not supposed to like him. And I know Leo doesn't, but I, I <laughs> but I, you don't like Tony Soprano, right? I didn't know that. No, I'm saying I was agreeing with you. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but I, I, I think Tony Soprano is the great, one of the greatest people ever. <laughs> and like, <laughs> And I, I should wanna... never think that. Go ahead, Roy. Go ahead, go ahead. And something you just said, I just want to, when you said that as it was the DC stuff that made us care, I think it was more the portrayal. Because like I said, it was the DC stuff that got me in the door, but it was the character. It was his portrayal. It was everything else about the movie that kept me, that made it my favorite movie of all time, honestly. Yeah, no, and that and that's fine. I mean, I think. When the movie came out in 2019, I mean, I've seen this movie, like, a, this week was probably, like, my 10th, 11th time seeing the movie. And, like, I think in that 2019, I was just so amazed of, that they actually pulled it off that I I think I thought it was better, like, more of a masterpiece than it is. I think I, I see more reality now a little bit, like, two years later. And, I, like, it's still an incredible film for me. But now I, you know, I see more chinks in the armor to it, I guess. And that's kind of why... This kind of discussion was perfect mm-hmm. for the 45th anniversary. Now that I'm kind of more open, and it's, and and we can finish off on the ending. Like I think, joke, Travis and Arthur both not, you know, they're not narrators you can trust. They're unreliable. They mm-hmm. they're rela- they're we see their reality under their perception. So I think Joker ending the way it did. Two years later, watching it so many times already, it kind of hurts the film because the movie can end with Joker being at, you know, putting himself with that smile and then watching over Gotham with his minions and end it there. And we get it as an audience. Like, that's his perception of what happened. The same asylum just, it feels, it feels like a scene added on for the sake of making folks try to, like, think the movie is a reality or not a reality when the when they already made you believe that with the scene with um with Zazie Beats that's when we find out the perception is not completely reality and also the scenes with Murray where he's imagining a world where Murray cares about him we get that we get that throughout the film we didn't need that and that's what Taxi Driver doesn't do it doesn't try to it doesn't insult its audience by trying to explain things and I think Joker tries to do that at the end and that's kind of where my issue is with like the actual last five minutes. That that ending would have been perfection if it didn't have that and that asylum scene. Uh, Leo, thoughts? 
CC, I think I agree with you in the fact that it feels like that was like added on as like a safety net. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly think that it was a safety net of let's not glamorize this character too much now. Like, let's also bring it back to the fact that this movie is supposed to be about the origin of one of the most homicidal villains in the history of comic book, like, period. Right. Like, so you have to, like, bring it back to, like, yes, we empathize for this past movie. Yes, we understood what made him and created him and made the decisions that he took. Yes, we totally understand that. But if we leave it too open ended, then it's like people are going to start criticizing the fact that we're making villains glamorous and we're never going to be allowed to make another movie again. Yeah. And I think before we go to Rye, I think that's the fault of the society we live in. (laughs) Totally agree. Uh, Ryan, thoughts? You, um, I actually have to agree with you guys. Um, that that did feel a little forced. Although the little, you know, like did what happened? Like, does he get away? You know, the blood, like that was. It was a nice little scene, but the scene on top of the car was a better scene. Yeah, that ending would have been perfect if it just yeah. was that. But that's not taking away anything from the movie. Joaquin is incredible. No. I mean, the score is incredible. The movie is still one of my favorite movies of the decade. I think I would probably redo my dot top decade list and move it down to number two, uh, over La La Land being number one. But that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't take away the fact that the uh, Joker is incredible. Taxi Driver is one of the best films of the seventies and kind of cements of what. One day I think we should do this. It all depends on how far. Uh, how much homework you guys want to do. But I, I've grown over the past like probably six, seven years that I've come to the realization that the 1970s the greatest decade of film. And I would love to discuss that with you guys one day and just seeing like what movies were released in the 70s that you're just, that are still they shape the they shape cinema today to what it is today. And it's pretty much uh undeniable when you actually look at all the movies that came out in the seventies. But yeah. Up this in is... smoke. Stop, right? Nice. <laughs> but I mean, technically Star Wars. So yeah, yeah. There you go. So that wraps up this week. Great conversation, guys. Next week we are going to continue, kind of, with Marty as we look at our top ten best and our top five worst gangster films. Ryan, if Godfather one and two are not number one, I am disowning you. And. <laughs> There I, is, I need to be disowned back. I'm telling you right be, now. You need to be disowned because there is no one in this world that would make me think that Goodfellas is better than Godfather 2 and Godfather 1. Again, favorite. <laughs> I, 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 mafia. I bet you going to be Mafia. <laughs> and no, the Sopranos. Wrong cannot, tale. And no, the Sopranos cannot make our list. Until then, see you at the movies, kid.